Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 340 of The Freelancer Show. This week on the panel, we have just me, Eric Dietrich. I am going to be solo this week. And so what I'm going to do is talk to you about a subject that is near and dear to my heart with what I do, and that is content marketing in 2019 for freelancers. And if you go back um, maybe around 100 episodes, there was an episode of The Freelancer Show about content marketing. Um, I'm going to be doing a little bit of a different spin on it. That was um, sort of folks coming together to talk about um, was different strategies for content marketing and basically how do you choose topics for it. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Uh, what I want to be talking about today is content marketing and what you might want to do to get started if you're not already, kind of what the value proposition it is, um, coming to it more from the perspective of somebody who does this for a living, which I do. Um, so I will talk to you about strategy kind of in the broadest terms, and then maybe some specifics and the different vehicles for content marketing. Um, but generally answering the question, you out there listening as a freelancer, uh, what is content marketing? Should you be doing it? Are you missing out if you're not doing it? And how might you get started? So let's dive into that. Before I do it, however, in detail, I should probably speak a bit about me and my background and what qualifies me to do this, other than just being a panelist on the show, freelancer, business owner that's interested in the topic. Um, I will speak to that. You may have heard me allude to this at times on this show before, but um, I have a long background in software development uh, that includes a lot of years as a salaried software developer and then kind of going into management. Eventually, I was an executive. Then my next life after that, which I started five or six years ago, was... Um, started out as kind of on-site uh, software development coaching, but morphed into like IT management and strategy consulting. And that took me up to about a few years ago. And then if you're a casual listener of the show, this might sound a little weird if I've never actually walked through the narrative, but um, I wound up starting an agency that does content marketing for companies that want to speak to software developers mainly, but people in the IT organization in general. Now, Software developer, software development manager, CIO, software management and strategy consulting, all of this doesn't naturally lead uh, to content marketing. So how did I go from all of that stuff to running a content marketing agency, hit subscribe, which is what I do now? Well, um, that was kind of an interesting story. Basically, I was um, traveling 100% of the time when I was doing the management and strategy consulting. And I'm an active blogger and have been for probably about a decade. 
And it just so happened that more and more companies started reaching out to me over the course of time to sort of kick the tires and say, hey, we're looking for content. Um, could we pay you to write blog posts for us? And since I was spending all of this time anyway in hotels, um, didn't have a lot to do in the evening. I could go out to the Outback and read my Kindle, or you know, I could do this side hustle, which I started to do. And from maybe 2014, 2015 on through to 2017, when I was thinking about kind of trying to get off the road and do something different, that really picked up steam. So around 2017, I decided to wave goodbye to the management and strategy consulting lifestyle and decided to go into business with my wife, Amanda, who does, um, or at the time was doing uh, editing mainly, but also some uh, graphic design. And we started an actual digital agency around providing this content. So we turned my side hustle of writing blog posts into a business. And now that was a little over two years ago. The business has grown a lot. It went from the two of us to we've got four salaried employees now and um a whole ton of side hustlers that are working as contractors, uh, authors, you know, doing the content, editors, uh, general staff. So that is the background. That is how I went from, you know, a career that probably anybody in the software world could relate to, to a degree, to suddenly being in marketing. And I would like to, for the purposes of this episode, share kind of the benefit of that experience uh, and how I, I feel almost like um, I'm Neo and you plugged all this marketing knowledge over the last two years into the back of my head when I never thought I would have it. And maybe it's worth sharing while freelancing and software development is still pretty fresh in my memory. So um, that's my background and it's why I feel pretty comfortable talking about content marketing. All right, so at this point, it's maybe worth talking about what is content marketing, but to do that, uh, why don't I talk about what marketing is? Um, and I'm not going to, you know, go too deep on the uh, background details and everything. So please don't uh, turn off the episode. But just briefly speaking, um, the way I think of marketing in the broadest sense is that it's kind of a strategy around exposing your good or your service, uh, in the case of a freelancer, to your customers. Um, so it's going to include things like how you uh, segment you know, who you're pitching to. It's going to include how you package your offering, uh, how you sell. It's a very broad topic, but it's basically this idea of introducing what you're offering to the people that you're offering it to. Now, I personally have sort of a more nuanced and cynical software developer take on what marketing really ought to be. Uh, and what I mean by that is I was exposed to marketing probably initially the way a lot of you were, which is kind of like, oh, it's that thing where the people in the marketing department make like swag for our company and then they send out stickers and mugs and yada yada. Uh, and I get that it probably has some kind of value, but it all seems a little bit fluffy. And what we do here is, you know, in the engineering group, we make the actual product and that's really what counts. Um, and so coming from that background, the sort of MBA style definition of marketing never really resonated with me, but here's what would have um, for Eric, the software developer a decade ago. I now think of marketing as being the part of your business or, or the part of what you're doing in terms of getting in front of people where you are qualifying people that would be a good fit for what you're offering. And you're also disqualifying the people that would not be a good fit for what you're offering. And make no mistake, if you're a freelancer or business owner, 
not everybody is a good fit. And I think that's one of the mistakes that people make early in their freelancing career is trying to make every gig work and you wind up taking on nightmare clients and you wind up miserable at times if you're, you know, uh, cutting the asking price for your services uh, in response to somebody claiming that you're too expensive. There are all these ways uh, of getting into engagements that really kind of aren't fun. And so I think that marketing can play a key role in pre-qualifying even before like a sales discussion of who isn't a good fit and then qualifying the people that are. Because once you get into a sales conversation, I speak from experience, it's pretty hard to be talking to a potential um, prospect or to an actual prospect and potential client where you're talking about actual money and they want to engage. And you ask a couple of questions and you see a couple of red flags. It's pretty hard at that point to say, wait a second, I think we should actually not engage. I actually don't want the six figures that you're about to give me. Uh, it's tough to do that. It would be better and more ideal if you could get rid of that red flag prospect before even you invested in the sales call and the prep for that sales call. And marketing can really help you do that. For instance, let's say you sell um, test-driven development and legacy rescue as a service. Uh, you don't really want to have sales conversations with an architect who's going to say, you know, uh, I've really never believed in that whole TDD thing. And I think that Uncle Bob Martin's a crank and so on and so forth. That's not a conversation you should ever be having in the first place because that's not a fit. You're philosophically not speaking to the right uh, potential customer. And so if part of your marketing can steer those folks away and instead draw the people that are like, oh yeah, you know, Bob Martin, uh, writing clean code, huge fan. Uh, those are the people that you want to be engaging with. And marketing in general can really help there. Now, content marketing, uh, what is this? Well, it is a narrower form of marketing and content marketing is not surprisingly a form of marketing that focuses on the creation of content. But um, I'll say this specifically, content marketing is producing content with standalone value. So if you're engaging in marketing, uh, content marketing, you are producing some form of uh, material, like let's say a blog post, that you could theoretically package up and sell. You're not going to, content marketing is free value, but you could it offers value standalone. So going back to this kind of legacy rescue clean code example, um, you might be writing a bunch of articles about how to refactor in different programming languages, or you might be writing, you know, unit testing 101, series of blog posts or doing some videos or something, and then you put those up and they help people. And you're not asking really for much of anything in exchange. Um, we'll get to the subtleties of that in a bit, but you're not trying to sell it. You're not packaging it up with the idea that you will later sell it. What you're doing is you're offering free value in the form of this content, and you're asking for trust in exchange. Your readership, your audience will grow. They will begin to trust you. They will follow you. And maybe eventually you will make a sale. But the marketing aspect, the qualifying good prospects and disqualifying bad ones, kicks in that you're asking them to come along for this ride of coming to trust you. And then you're going to actually help them figure out whether they're a fit for your offering or not. Um, so that's kind of the gist of content marketing. Standalone value that helps your audience uh, assess whether they can get value from what you're offering or not. Do you ever wonder how your application gets put onto the devices that it runs on? 
Whether it's a mobile app being run on an iPhone or Android phone, or whether you're talking about a web app that gets deployed to servers or containers through something like Kubernetes, there's always something going on and understanding how all that stuff goes together can drastically help you figure out how to solve the problems and how to architecture your application better in order to take advantage of how things are set up. You should check out our new podcast, Adventures in DevOps. Adventures in DevOps is a sort of continuation of the Food Fight Show, but is a new podcast. You can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Uh, so let's look now at what are some of the forms of content marketing. There are a lot of different ways you can create content and offer value. Um, the one that we deal with and hit subscribe most commonly is blogging. I'd say that's 90% of what we're doing. Uh, bread and butter content. And probably for a lot of you folks out there, that's going to be the most common one as well. You stand up a website, you start blogging, um, and hopefully you build an audience and you get people to read your content. Um, but that is far from the only one. Here are some other forms. Video. Um, if you are, you've got a YouTube channel or maybe you're just recording videos and putting them up as frames on your site, it's another perfectly valid way to engage an audience. Uh, user group or conference speaking. Um, this is an interesting one. Unlike video or blog content, it is ephemeral. So you are creating content, um, but if you're giving a talk like over a deck, that is incomplete. Like the deck is not always going to be a standalone piece of content and your talk may be recorded as a video and then it's a more permanent piece of content, but probably that the organizer of the conference owns, I'm guessing. So it is a form of content marketing, but this is an interesting one in that it can be ephemeral. Um, as a quick aside, it's not necessarily the one I would recommend the most. Um, some people would disagree with me on that. I can maybe get into more uh, on why that is later. Uh, another form of content marketing is if you go on QA sites like Stack Overflow, Quora, et cetera, and you create content um, there where you're answering a lot of user questions, this is another form of content marketing. It is another one that I wouldn't focus on personally if I were you. Uh, you can do it, but I don't view it as a great backbone of a strategy. And the reason being um, in the same way that a user group or conference speaking is ephemeral, um, this is more permanent, but it's owned by someone else. And the core or the Stack Overflow, you know, they can just delete that content anytime they want and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's also not on your site. So even if those eyeballs fall upon you, um, bringing them back to where you actually want to be and you're actually selling things is a little bit more indirect. Um, so there is a place uh, for those types of content creation, but I would be more judicious and strategic about how you approach them. Uh, another thing is like infographics or PDFs or things that you might create um, that you probably host on your site that can attract like links and social shares. Um, another excellent form of content to create um, fits well overall into a broader strategy besides. Webinars, um, this is another form of content. Webinars are great and I encourage people to do it. They do get a bit of a bad rap though because um, if you think about somebody who's doing a webinar, what do you think is going on there? Like I know it pops into my head, oh, I'm gonna sign up for this webinar and it's gonna be 35 minutes of value and then 10 minutes where they try to pitch me pretty hard to sign up for their thing. So webinars kind of um, have this blurring of the line between sales and content marketing, at least in connotation. Um, nothing against it if that's your strategy with a webinar, but I'd say be careful there because there your audience is going to be a little less predisposed to thinking it's pure content marketing, free value, and more thinking that it's a sales tactic where you're offering value, but in exchange for, you know, their timeshare pitch or whatever it is. 
um, podcasting, which is directly relevant to what we're doing here, this is a form of content marketing. So if you want to go start a podcast about your legacy code uh, cleanup service, and every week you have you know somebody else on the podcast to talk about their legacy code horror story, that is absolutely a form of pon- uh, content marketing. You're not making the podcast necessarily to sell um services, but you'll probably include a pitch there at the end for it and uh, build an audience with the hopes that that's going to pay off for you eventually. Uh, Social media campaigns, or I guess put more broadly, like social media presence. So if you go on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and you're doing tweet storms or Instagram storms, I don't know what the term for that is. But anyway, if you're coming to those media and you're participating a lot, you're creating content there and growing a following and people like you there, uh, that's another form of content media, um, content marketing uh, through those media. Again, this is kind of like going to Stack Overflow or Quora or wherever you might want to go. Be careful because those media sites then own all of that content and they can sort of... Um, steer people away from it or toward it as they see fit. A great example is uh, Facebook business used to be a much better deal where you could get a bunch of likes and then get in front of your uh, potential audience all the time on Facebook. But then Facebook came along and said, yeah, you know what? Um, We really want to make that more uh, a function of like paid Facebook uh, campaigns. So yeah, we're just not going to show your business stuff to people anymore. Sorry. And just like that kind of overnight, um, having a Facebook business account was much, much less valuable. So if you had put a lot of effort into that platform, now suddenly you were in this position where if you wanted to continue to reap value for your content, you suddenly had to pay Facebook. So be careful with social media because you can really be subject with that content there to their whims. Um, And I guess maybe the final form of content marketing that I'll mention is email courses or just kind of like general mailing lists that you're sending mail out to. Um, This is a very powerful form of content marketing because in order to get somebody's mailing or email address, they have to trust you already to a degree. So what you can do is get them to sign up for an email course or you give them a bunch of free value over the course of weeks or even months um, teaching them to do something. Or maybe you're just doing like a weekly roundup of uh, topics in your field, other blog posts, etc. But whatever it is, um, you have this audience through this email list you've created and are sending email to. And that's a really great form of content marketing um, because email is much more personal and you have a much kind of closer connection with those folks. And it, you know, from a dollars and cents perspective, uh, converts better. So all of those are ways that you can engage in content marketing. And it's a lot of options. It can be overwhelming. Um, So I'll get to this in a little bit, but uh, you probably want to you know, pick one and start with that and grow from there. Whatever you do, if you've not done any content marketing before, don't try to do all of these things at once. You will exhaust yourself in four days and then never do this again. Um, But anyway, talk about that here shortly. But first, let's talk about the value proposition. So if you're a freelancer out there and you are thinking about doing content marketing, I guess the question is why? If you're listening to this, you probably have already some idea in your head of maybe why you would do this, but um, let's get specific about it. Uh, it is a long play and it requires a lot of effort, so it, you know you, you need to get um, equal value out of it, I suppose. Um, if you're going to do content marketing over the long haul, what's going to happen is you're going to start to build an audience, or somehow or another, if you're doing it right, you're going to start to get in front of people. 
and um, that'll grow over time. If you do it right, you'll get this kind of hockey stick curve of growth. Um, and what starts to happen after a while is this engine of um, eyeballs, if you will, all of these people that are coming to trust you because of the value you're giving away, they will turn into leads and then you will have passive leads over the course of time. So rather than you going out on LinkedIn and cold LinkedIning people, cold, cold messaging people, um, or cold emailing people or cold calling people, uh, things will start to flow the other way. You'll get people that maybe will sign up for a trial download if that's what you're doing, or they'll just call you and say, hey, I read your article about such and such. I see you do some consulting. Can we talk? So that to me is the biggest value proposition. This idea that you're building a funnel for future business that done right, you don't have to put as much work into. It's sort of and I hesitate to call it this, but a form of like passive lead generation. It's not passive because it takes a lot of work to build up over the course of time. But once you've done it, it can grow independently of your day-to-day -day activities. Uh, so that's the biggest thing. Um, I will say that my blogging over the years, even long before I thought of it as content marketing, it created this kind of like atomic decay factor of leads or, or general opportunities. So I would blog and then once every, I don't know, month or two, I would get some call and it wasn't even necessarily anything I was going for, but it would be some random opportunity to write for this website or to speak at this user group or whatever. So there's this factor of kind of unknown, unknown um, opportunity. And that's really hard, uh, obviously, to quantify, but it's even a hard sell for people that have never, I guess, approached things this way before. But it is quite real. So if you blog for a couple of years, you will find that just random stuff that's awesome happens to you. Um, so there is uh, a value proposition in there as well. And then I'll say that like if you build an audience, even if it's not directly translating into leads or sales or anything like that, there's value in having an audience and having trust um, kind of independent of whatever you're doing at the moment. So for instance, with me, uh, the dead tech blog, I had it when I was a software engineer. Then I had it when I went freelance and I was doing kind of training and occasional app dev, um, freelancing, and then management and strategy consulting. And now I have it, even though I'm running this content business. And you don't always have the same audience. You know, people are coming and going. You don't always have the same focus, but it's not like I've lost all the followers I've ever had over the course of time or anything. I still have kind of this steady state of a large following. And that can be valuable in different ways that you might not even anticipate now. So there is this kind of general value proposition of building an audience that you can retain and cultivate over the course of time um, into relationships, into trust, uh, in using for whatever you might want to do in the future. And then I'll say, when it comes to content marketing, if you're freelancing, you're going to want to build up some intellectual property, some thought leadership type pieces. You're going to want to build up a stance on things. And content marketing is a great way to do all that. They kind of, um, content marketing and building, I guess, authority and a way of doing things feed into each other. So if you're building your patented way of doing legacy rescue, you might as well write about it and publish blog content about what you're doing as you build your specific way of doing things. Um, so in that case, the value proposition is that it, it almost helps you refine your own business and the way you conduct yourself with clients. Okay, so I'm getting into territory here where I think it's worth talking about, like if you're listening and you wanna know whether this is a good thing for you as a freelancer to do or not, um, 
that's a pretty nuanced concern. So like, let's take one extreme. You went off on your own freelancing. You didn't pay attention to some of the advice we give on the show. Maybe you didn't build a lot of runway, didn't build a nest egg. Um, and you are hard up for money. Like you need to, uh, get a gig. Well, in that case, if you got a mortgage to pay and you know, you don't want to be focused on writing blog posts, you want to be out, you know, on Upwork or doing whatever you got to do to get business. So there are situations where I wouldn't necessarily recommend content marketing, but I think those are always short time, uh, timeline situations. I would always recommend to any freelancer and to any business owner, because freelancing is just a smaller subset of being a business owner, that you want to be doing content marketing. And you might say like, hey, blogging isn't for me or writing emails isn't for me. I got to think that between speaking, blogging, video, um, Q&A sites, all these different options you have, something in there is for you. And the reason I say this is because as a business owner, you're going to have opinions on the way that business in your niche or in your area should be conducted. And content marketing is your way to get those opinions out there and share them with the world. So you can be pre-qualifying those leads and disqualifying poor fits. So I think everyone should be doing it. You should be building this engine of lead generation. You should be building your authority and your um, kind of stake in your niche and area. And you should be refining the value proposition that you offer and getting the message out in some fashion or another. So yes, I think everybody who's a freelancer should do it. As to how much you invest in it, both from a time and money perspective and to what media you should use, that's maybe a little more up in the air. Um, but you should start with the assumption that this is a thing you should do. And once you're less desperate and you've got some business, start to invest time, money, or both in it. Absolutely, I would say you should. Um, now, if you're saying, hey, that this is a lot of work, yeah, yeah it absolutely is. But um, by picking a media that's favorable to you, um, you can make that work fun. You can get more efficient at it as you do it. And trust me, you will. I've been blogging for 10 years. I didn't start out efficient the way I am at it. Um, and then if, you know, really it's just a, a headache for you, then you can start to look at ways to maybe outsource parts or all of the content creation process. But you do need to be thinking about marketing, uh, yourself over the long haul, or you'll be on this endless treadmill of like Upwork and kind of, um, only ever doing cold sales type activities or just re-engaging with people in the past. Because if you're not out there building trust in a visible way, then there's just nothing for anyone to go on. You might as well just kind of, you know, it's almost like interviewing um, at jobs. Like you're just going to be doing uh, cold sales pitch after cold sales pitch, which is answering RFPs and doing undifferentiated stuff because there's nothing out there in the market to identify you as some kind of unique specialist or expert. Vue.js is no longer the new kid on the block. It's a well-established framework that allows you to build web applications similar to React and Angular. We have a podcast featuring several people from the Vue community, including Chris Fritz, who's on the Vue core team, Ben Hong, who works for GitLab, and several other people that contribute on a regular basis to talk to us about Vue and all of the things going on in the Vue community and all of the things you can do with it. You can check it out at viewsonvue.com. That's views, V-I-E-W-S on viewvue.com. So let's talk maybe at this point a little bit about how to get started. Um, I've, I've touched on this before, but pick a medium, pick one of these media that you're best at and focus on that and make that the cornerstone of your strategy. Get good at it, figure out what people do, um, learn how to use it to your advantage, and then start with that, show up repeatedly, 
And um, if you're going to do other stuff, like if you're blogging and then you want to add video or you want to get more into social media, start with that initial core thing that you're doing and then expand conservatively out from there only as long as it's sustainable. So if you're blogging, you think you also want to start to, you know, get into Twitter to supplement your blogging. Great. Do it. Try only that one thing. See how it goes. And if you exhaust yourself or if it's not going well, shrink back down to the thing you can do sustainably and maybe try again with something else later. Uh, in terms of getting started, I would also say whatever you do, you do, please don't bike shed over the way you do it. So if it's going to be podcasting, I'm not an expert podcaster, even though I'm you know a panelist on the show. Uh, most of the podcasting is uh, done by DevChat TV, like the nuts and bolts of it. But don't get really worried about like which audio editing software you pick. If you're starting a blog, just pick WordPress. Like don't worry about static site generators and all this other stuff. And what will people think of you if you don't use ghost or something? It doesn't matter. Just start. All of those are ways to procrastinate. They're not actually important decisions. The one thing you can't do a year from now is go back and have created a year's worth of content. If you started on WordPress and you hate it in six months, you can pick a new content management system. No problem. But you can't go back and create all that content. So Please don't bike shed over what and how and all that. Just start creating the content. Um, if you're going to go broad at all, do it by repurposing. And I guess the last bit of advice I would offer for you to get started is to make sure that you're um, establishing a set of goals and a way to measure your progress toward those goals. So if you're creating blog content because you know that it's a good idea to be content marketing and you want to build a kind of a passive funnel, how are the readers exactly going to come in? Are you going to be writing a blog post once a week and sharing it to your social media and maybe syndicating it on DZone or Dev.2 or whatever these sites are um, that you can syndicate? Like, okay, great. Uh, if so, like how much traffic do you hope to bring in? Um, start measuring that, set up Google Analytics for your blog, and then, you know, look at how much traffic you're bringing in versus how much you hope to. Uh, what I'm getting at is you want to establish KPIs and then you want to be measuring your progress against them and you want to be tying those KPIs back to your business. So if you are looking to sell your legacy code uh, rescue service, roughly speaking, um, how many leads do you eventually want to bring in that way? You know, should do you hope that it's going to be bringing you two, three leads a month and those will lead to sales conversations? And if so, like how many um, viewers do you think you'll need to have before you get those two or three leads a month? So you're not going to get this right at first because you're not a content marketing expert, but pick something out as sort of a tracer bullet to fire and to see how it's going. Um, the opposite of this would be if you just started putting content on your blog and then sharing it on Twitter and Facebook and then trusting that in a year good things would happen. I would say doing that maybe is better than not doing it. But the thing is, you're going to get discouraged if you do it that way because you don't really have any expectations. You don't have a way to tune your approach and to set goals. So just kind of making content on faith for a long, long time, if you've never done it before and experienced the kind of wins that I have from it, that can get really discouraging. So pick out ways to measure progress, set goals, and then um, keep track and tune as you're going along against those goals and make them quantitative. Like I want this many viewers uh, or readers because it's going to translate, I think, into this many leads, um, things like that. Oh, and I guess I'll offer one other getting started piece of advice. 
the thing I see people do a lot, and you'll see the internet littered with blogs like this, don't start your blog and write a blog post and then publish it right away and then do that again three days later and then do that again four days later. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to have all this momentum and you're going to post uh, the six ideas that have been rattling around in your head for blog posts over the course of two weeks. And then number one, nobody's going to show up except the first time you share, you know, a handful of your friends will be like, hey, cool, Bill is blogging. Um, but then after that, nobody's going to read the second post. I promise you, get used to that. It's a fact of life. Um, and what's going to happen is you're going to exhaust all your ideas. You're going to get no results. And then you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be thinking like, well, I don't even know what to talk about. And now I've been blogging once every three days. And so everybody's going to expect that of me, even though nobody's reading. And I don't know what I'm going to say. And what's the point? Nobody's paying attention to this anyway. And then you're going to stop. And then in three months, you're going to dig out the blog and you're going to think, you know, I just had an idea for a post and I should really give this whole blogging thing another try. And then you're going to write like two posts and then you're going to repeat that same exercise like a year later with another one or two posts. Now go out there, look around the internet and tell me you don't see dozens of blogs if you look in all the wrong places that follow that format. Like how many blogs have you seen like that over the years where you see this flurry of posts, then a year later or whatever, you know, two more posts and then four years later, two more posts. You don't want to do that. What you want to do instead is build up a content backlog. So take all that inspiration for things to write and then write those things and hold on to them. And once you have a war chest where, you know, maybe you can make sure that you have content weekly for a month or two, that's maybe when you start actually publishing, because then you're going to be kind of in more of a rhythm and you're going to be more able to commit to like once a week or once every other week. So build a backlog and then commit to a sustainable pace. Don't just furiously put out whatever kind of content you just finished writing. Um, so I think that's like good advice for getting started. Uh, I'd like to close maybe by talking about a steady state where you're doing this. Uh, staying motivated is difficult, but if you're establishing the kind of goals and progress markers that I've talked about, that can be a big help. Um, if you're maintaining realistic expectations and then kind of tuning those goals. So if you've published blog posts for two, three months and you're saying, hey, um, you know, I am getting some traffic, I'm picking up some followers, but it's not quite what I'd hoped then maybe you want to ramp down your expectations and say, oh, it'll take longer to build an audience than I thought. Or, you know, maybe you start to look at different options you have for doing different things. Um, you can syndicate to places. Uh, maybe you could take and pull the readers that you do have and ask, you know, what would make you more likely to share this with other people in your network? You know, it's too broad and too hard to get into in all of the most general senses, but there is a lot of stuff that you can do to sort of tweak and tune your approach. So, um, you know, make sure you're staying motivated, you're going at a sustainable pace and make sure that you're kind of examining what you're doing and looking for ways to get better. And whatever media you're using, I would also look to people out there that have done it and had success um, you know, go on community sites or you could join forums or just read about uh, people who have talked about their journey um, with creating content and see what's worked for them and what their experience was. Like, for instance, um, if you're having trouble staying motivated, I was kind of terrible at figuring out anything related to content marketing in the beginning. Like I blogged for like a year 
where like nobody read anything that I was doing. You know, I used to mark like getting comments spam as progress because I thought like, well, nobody's reading, but at least this is some kind of form of engagement. I mean, you know, so uh, if you're feeling discouraged, that hockey stick of growth in terms of traffic and attention for me took a really, really long time. Um, so I could, you know, uh, personally like load you up with war stories um, related to not getting discouraged and that it does get better eventually. And so there's a lot of me's out there and you can sort of draw inspiration from that and realize that there is kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so this is the state of content marketing, I would say in 2019. I think it's absolutely something you should be doing. It is um, maybe not only blogging these days. Um, video is very much a growing and sort of in the technical uh, area, kind of an untapped resource to have a YouTube channel. Um, but, you know, with that, you like the Q&A sites or conferences or social media, you might worry that you're not fully in control of what goes up on YouTube, although you do on the videos. Um, Q&A sites, yeah, user group, conference speaking, all of these are viable. Um, webinars have gotten a little bit salesy, but people are still doing that. Uh, if you ask me to get out my crystal ball, I think blogging is a real blue chip thing to be doing. I think podcasting and um, video content are going to get a lot bigger over the course of time. And then if you can get everybody funneled kind of into like email courses and mailing lists, um, that's probably the best form of content marketing to be engaging people in just in terms of their trust in you and the potential for lead generation. So that's kind of my take on content marketing, my experience. Um, if you have questions uh, about it, you know, weigh in in the comments on the show or just kind of in any uh, media that you can find me, um, we'll happily take on this subject in future uh, episodes of The Freelancer Show if it's kind of related to... Um, you know, things in and around freelancing. So please feel free to weigh in, ask us questions. And with that, I am going to get into picks. Um, the first pick I'll offer uh, on the theme of content marketing is my YouTube channel, or well, Hit Subscribe's YouTube channel, which really takes on mostly blogging-based content, but content marketing themes in general. The second pick that I'm going to offer is um, kind of SEO and blog and video content related, but Moz's blog, and in particular, their Whiteboard Friday segment is a great place to learn about content marketing concepts. And the last thing that I'll offer that I enjoy is sort of technical SEO related, uh, which is a lot of what Hit Subscribe does, but um, Ahrefs video channel is very um, informative. It's one of my favorite YouTube video channels to watch. And that is going to do it. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will catch you next time on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.